You're listening to Common Ground YYC, a podcast dedicated to long-form, in-depth conversations with Alberta's most dynamic personalities, thinkers, newsmakers, and all-around mover and shakers. Your hosts are Sylvia Pical and Darren Krause. Welcome back to another edition of the Common Ground YYC podcast. I am one of your hosts, Darren Krause, editor at LiveWireCalgary.com. This month, my co-host, Sylvia Pical, editor at New Forum Magazine, is on assignment, which is actually code for super busy, so I'm flying solo. Sylvia will be back for the next show, which is prepping for production as we speak. Later on this show, we will give you a heads up on what we're going to cover and who we might be talking to in upcoming episodes. This month, we have a conversation with Brian Hahn, CEO of Build Calgary Region. That's the organization representing builders, developers, and other related professionals in the Calgary area. Now, the Calgary tax situation is a complicated one. As Calgary City Hall just approved another one-time tax break for city businesses as part of that dreaded tax shift, questions still remain about how the city will rein in its budget. Now, anytime you talk about property taxes in Calgary and the amount of money that's needed to operate the city, this question of suburban growth factors in and people cry foul over the addition of 14 new communities and those underlying costs. We hear a lot about the need to contain Calgary's growth and this idea of sustainable growth and established area growth. And oftentimes, the city's development community takes the brunt of the criticism. And in many cases, it is warranted. But that opened up a good opportunity for us to ask Han some of these questions in a conversation that, in my mind, shows a potential evolution in how Calgary's development community views sustainable growth. Full honesty here. Um, my wife was encouraging me to find uh, something to occupy my time and not hers. And certainly, you know, I, I'd like to think of myself as young. I guess I'll leave it to you to decide whether I am or not. Well, uh, we both have four kids and our oldest is in University of Lethbridge, so... Oh, well, that's, well, that's lots to talk about. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, um, really what I wanted the opportunity to do was to, I guess, pay it forward or give back to Calgary and uh, I think this opportunity allows me to in hopefully some small way help make Calgary a better place Uh, it's no secret that Calgary has its economic challenges right now and the development community which I'd rubbed elbows with in its former incarnations as UDI and CHBA in my ATCO days the, the development community and it's become even more obvious to me as I've stepped into this role, is extraordinarily committed to Calgary and is one of the, the key partners in making this city the world-class city it is. They're the ones that invest the risk capital. They're the ones that, that ultimately make the difference in the communities we've come to love and that we, and I, have chosen to make my home. Um, in amongst all sorts of choices so uh, and they're, they're very altruistic they're committed you know we could go through all sorts mm-hmm. of causes that they support in this town very generous and so to be able to work with a group of individuals like that um, is a tremendous privilege in all honesty um, it's one that you know again it's a younger group um, 
to be honest, around the board table are the sons and daughters of many of the people that I work with. And it's energizing to work with people that are that committed, that switched on, and ready to do the right things for our community. So you came in at a time when Build had just gone through the merger with, or sorry, the CHBA had gone through the merger with UDI. Um, kind of tell me how that's taken shape um, and how the organization kind of exists, maybe that's different from three, four, five years ago. Well, it, it's, it's hard for me to put myself back three or four years ago because I wasn't here three or four years sure. ago. And, you know, if I guess we were to use a metaphor of an airplane from wingtip to wingtip, it's developers, home builders, um, professional, um, technical people, uh, trade, suppliers, the whole gamut uh, of our membership. So it, it's brought all those groups together that, of one fashion or another, uh, worked together or endeavored to work collaboratively before. And I would say kind of Bill's um, mantra is many voices, one message. And so it's really you know, brought into focus that many voices, one message. And I know we'll likely get to it sooner, but we've even made a recent change to, to I think that, that change of the merger of UDI and CHBA, which is one that's occurring across the province. It's done at the Build Alberta level. It's been done at a number of what they call constituent associations. It's happened in Ontario in a number of places, and it's bit by bit happening across the country. It, it, it's, it's remaining relevant, remaining efficient for members. And it's very similar to what we just did recently with our bylaw change, where we, in terms of the elected positions on the board, we are making sure there's representation from both the new community builder developers and the established area builder developers. So we used to just have nine builder developer positions. Now we've made it clear that we must have a relative balance between those two to reflect the choice that our members are trying to offer consumers and also you know what um, the region is aspirational to in terms of its growth plans. So why, why is that important not only for um, how business is done in the home building industry but also even for public perception? I, I think the, the answer to that and maybe uh, abruptly short but uh, it's being relevant uh, adapting with the times and being seen as credible. I mean, you're almost your question almost answered itself. Yeah, it, it, and relevant to policymakers um, because that's uh, uh, that's more or less embedded in the municipal development plan. The, the, the basically the 50-50 piece, mm -hmm. or moving towards the 50-50 piece. And so, I think that move, which was very strongly supported by membership and certainly extraordinarily well supported by our board. I think that move helps build, maintains its relevance going forward to all the various stakeholders and parties. Now, without telling tales out of school, how, how has that kind of played itself out around the boardroom? Like, because of course you have some of the, the long-time builders who have, you know, a, a lot of them are, are predominantly suburban, uh, suburban developers or suburban home builders versus some of the established 
growth people. And, and I mean, I've been in organizations where the, the, the question becomes, well, this is the way that we've always done it. Do, do you get that sentiment around the table? Not at all. No? Nope. Not at all. It was unanimously supported by the board. And um, I think it goes to my earlier comment, um, that, probably not a great term, but how switched on the the leaders of the development, home building, and in fact all aspects of our membership, the leaders of those groups are. that They recognize that, uh, what's the, the famous saying, adapt or perish? Mm -hmm. They recognize that things can't stay the same and um, that you know, opportunities will be found in many places. And so, I, I, well, I don't want to put words in their mouth. I have to believe that they saw this as what this move was an important one to remain relevant. And it, like I said, it was unanimously supported by mm -hmm. our board. The Smarter Growth Initiative is one that that sticks out. It was kind of conceptualized back in in 2014. It was updated again in in 2017, and it kind of talks a little bit about how. Um, how we're meeting those MDP targets. You know, for 25 years, we're looking at 35% growth in established communities, 60% suburban. And by 50 years, we're, we're looking for that 50-50. What's the status of, of the work that's being done with the Smarter Growth Initiative right now? Well, that's an interesting question. I don't know if I'd frame it as status. I think Smarter Growth Initiative is, it's much like I suppose the best answer to that is it's much like the change the board made. The Smarter Growth Initiative is a communication tool, an education tool, which um, can be used to educate the various stakeholders to the, the development, uh, to development in Calgary and the development community. Um, I think it's a, it's a friendly way to do that, if I can use that term. Mm -hmm. And the Smarter Growth Initiative will over time, it will evolve with the needs of um, those who are looking for that kind of information. And so it's it's like anything, it's not a static animal. Mm -hmm. it, it will evolve. And you talked about if we were to cast our gaze forward, how we think it will evolve with, you know, um, percentages of growth in the established areas versus the new communities over time. But um, it will also have to evolve with other issues that may present themselves in terms of development. And so the whole idea is for it to carry on a bit of a dialogue with the community in that regard. Is it still something that, as an organization, that kind of you know guides how you look at growth in the city holistically? Well, it's a bit of a two-way tool because there is a survey that's part of the effort in that. And so it it gets that feedback and based on that feedback it its compass point gets adjusted over time right so one of the things that was in there that i found interesting and it will kind of set the stage for some of the the i guess more uh more recent points uh that have been brought up in the media lately there's there's this talk of urban sprawl and in the Smarter Growth Initiative, it says, it, it defines what urban sprawl is, and then it says specifically that we're, it's, we're not doing that because we are operating within, you know, what has been planned and what has been set forth by the city. Mm -hmm. We're looking at a situation now where we have 14 new communities. 
Um, it's public knowledge now that the uptake in a lot of those communities um, isn't what was expected. So to a lot of people, that perception is we're, we're outstripping population growth by adding these new communities. So is it a little, have we gotten to a point where maybe it's a little urban sprawlish to use that term? I wouldn't use that term clearly. <laughs> what term would you use? Uh, I think with the best information that was available to it, based on the submissions that were put before them, City Council made a decision. Mm -hmm. And looking in the rearview mirror is an easy thing to do and uh, provide all sorts of commentary on it. Uh, over time, I have little doubt that development will catch up with new community growth and um, what it does, what those approvals that you refer to uh, does ensure is that there is a process for approval of new communities and for any industry the predictability and reliability of those processes is important and I think for consumers what it ensures unlike other communities that are struggling in Canada, is a robust supply. And if you, the way I like to think about it is that right now there are a number of things that make Calgary a very competitive and attractive community. And that's one of them. Uh, over time, the, the approvals that occurred the, the effects of them that might have a short-term effect will be dampened out uh, because that's just the way those things work. And all those decisions were based on the best information available at the time and you have to make a decision. And um, while that happened before my time at Bill, I can only think that council and administration and everyone used their best judgment to make the decisions they did and they made those decisions and they should stick with them. So, at the time, when the decision was made to move forward with those communities, uh, Calgary administration had recommended eight. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it was bumped up to 11, uh, and then it turned into 14. From your perspective, how did that kind of take shape? How did we get from eight to 14? That, that's, that's a tough question for me to answer, because that predated me. Okay and my time here at BUILD. But again, I, I go back, it, you know, people, people are given information, certainly um, groups put, it, put their best case forward, and based on those, those, the best information available at the time, council did what it did. And you, you can always look in the rearview mirror and second judge it, but over time, what that decision has, has and will assure is a robust supply and also significant choice available for Calgarians and prospective Calgarians. Right. So in the Smarter Growth Initiative, it, it, it talks about um, how some of the suburban growth, like there is some densification happening. Yep. However, it, it makes a point of saying our land consumption has dropped dramatically. Now, granted, that document, the last, the last adjustment was made in 2017, but then in 2017 and 2018, we saw a substantial uptick in the amount of land that was consumed. Are, are we still... When you say consumed, do you mean approved? 
Yeah, development approval. So, so I, I think in 2015 it was around 500 and some odd hectares. Then in 2016 it was down to 100. So that's where it dropped off dramatically. But then in 2017 and 2018 it went up to um, the highest it's been in probably the past eight years. So, I mean, are, are we overbuilding for the demand that's there? I suppose at any point you can take a snapshot in time and sure. go, it's too small or it's too big. Um, again, I, I would say council made its decision. We've got a good supply, uh, a robust supply of land that I think can be moved forward on. And the people that invest in this are doing it in a very thoughtful way. And so they're not, I don't believe anyone would invest recklessly to bring on land supply. Mm -hmm. So. Um, you know, again, best decisions were made on best information available at the time, and it's time to move forward on those things. One of the questions that people have is, is why do we need these communities now? From Build's perspective, why do we need these 14 new communities? I mean, given the understanding that they're probably not going to be built out for 10, 15 years. Well, I, I think you've answered your, your own question. They'll develop over time, and they'll develop on a timeline where the market demand matches what gets built out. So all, it, all the decision has done has effectively approved the ability to move forward with those communities. And now the, the actual build out of those communities will match the market demand. But in the meantime, we're adding tax dollars to help fund the infrastructure and services in those communities and the philosophy has long been that eventually those taxpayer dollars, when those communities are built out, will pay for those services. Mm -hmm. But as we're, I mean, as we've seen, the build-out is kind of slow, and we don't know how long that build-out is going to take. Um, so it, it's kind of put the city on the hook for these services a lot sooner and a lot longer than they thought. So maybe to jump to the quick, you're on to the growth pace for growth discussion here. <laughs> and look at, um, I think we've kind of just transitioned right into the offsite levies discussion. Right. So, you know, back in 2015, offsite levies, every five years there's uh, an offsite levy discussion between industry and the city. And a based on the best information available to everybody. They look at the cost to service um, new sub the off-site cost to service new subdivisions. All of the infrastructure inside the subdivision is funded and paid for by developers. So this is the portion that's required outside of that development. Forecasts are made, actuals incur, and then every five years there's a correction for that a true up. Because of the um, approvals that took place in 2018, there was a, I'm going to call it a tweak in 2018, and in 2020, there'll be that dialogue with a, a new set of offsite levies uh, for 2021 and forward. So it'll take into account all those factors that you talked about, and um, you know that, that forecast can run either way. In the long run, the idea and principles behind offsite levies is the growth pace for growth. So over time, that will correct itself both ways. Okay. So the on-site levies, that's like the, what you guys refer to as, as the, the per door cost. Sure. And then there's the offsite levies, which are the added services like police, transit, 
like the hard costs for the buildings, for the, uh, for the infrastructure in order to, to support that. So I, w- I would just change the labels you okay. used. So the infrastructure in a community, the underground infrastructure, so water, sewer, storm, mm-hmm. the roads, curbs, all that sort of stuff, that's paid for by the developer. And I wouldn't label that with a levy. That's okay. just part of the development cost. Uh, of course, outside of that development to connect it to water treatment plants, to the um, main sewer or sewer trunks and water mains and the like, and to make sure that those have the capacity, those are off-site levies. And then there's a community services levy that helps to pay for fire halls, police stations and the like. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I would just divide it up like that. Right. With those costs, and I know that, that even when the city builds an infrastructure project, they often have to, to some degree, estimate what the operational costs, the ongoing operational mm-hmm. costs will be. When we have a slower build-out of a community, but yet the services are still needed, let's say, for instance, uh, in Livingston, they're talking about that the, the fire or emergency services building that they would like up there. Um, the city is kind of putting those costs up there and that's being spread around other Calgarians. So are you saying from the comment before that eventually through the adjustment of those levies that it should pay for itself? Yes, and and also I think it's fair to say that the city is looking for creative solutions when the build out isn't as quick. Um, if my memory serves me correctly, Councillor DeMong was uh, recently in the media talking about um, temporary portable fire stations that when you don't have quite the same um, spread uh, at the kickstart of a community that those can be used to provide the service for a smaller group and I think predecessors before the current chief had implemented other creative solutions around that so that so that the kind of the cost of growth can match the pace of growth. Are build members aware of the perception that some Calgarians have that suburban growth is responsible for raising their taxes? Uh, Build members are aware that there's a lot of messages out there about developers and development costs relative to growth. But similarly, it's fair to say that that, um, a growing community is typically a healthy community and all of our members are trying to set the table so that we can have a very affordable growing community. So they're, they're endeavoring on their very best basis to make sure the cost of new devel- development's done in an orderly way so it's done at the lowest possible cost basis and all of the costs go forward or at the lowest possible cost. And let's remember that you know, as additional lots come on, they bring with them tax revenue. And that tax revenue in addition to the incremental costs that they might have to to cope with, they also help with the overall fixed costs or create a bigger denominator for that. Those are things that our members are also aware of. We think on balance that development is positive for our community. We're a a large employer uh, in the area, not quite 50,000 people are either directly or indirectly employed by the development and building community. Um, Investment is in the hundreds of millions to billions of dollars a year. So it's a positive economic contributor. And so, you know, there's many facets to the story. And in the long run, it's a plus for Calgary. So when you have conversations with people who are aware of what you do, 
and they bring up things like, well, when we add a new community, we have to pay for fire and we have to pay for road clearing. And, and they have that belief that every time we add a new community, the city has to pay more. What do you tell them? A healthy community is a growing community. And over the long run, this creates tax generation for the city. We're in a competitive world. And if the city just stayed static and we didn't grow any tax base, we'd still have operating costs, we'd have capital maintenance costs. And the fact that we can, if we grow sensibly, as the Smarter Growth Initiative would say, and we balance it between uh, suburban growth and uh, densification in uh, inner city and established areas, then I think we can solve the problems of uh, the cost of development and um, make sure it benefits all. How would you describe BUILD's commitment today to established area growth? I think the vote on the 14th is the punctuation or the exclamation mark uh, behind BUILD's commitment to established area growth. We participate actively on a number of city committees. Um, probably the most notable one is the Established Areas Growth and Change uh, Strategy Committee. Um, we strongly believe in choice, and I think that speaks for itself. And so can you kind of give me a status of where some of those discussions are with the, the established areas? I, I don't think I'm telling any tales out of school. Um, the, so the city is, I think the city's bigger plan is to basically have three pillars, a, a new community growth strategy, established area growth strategy, and industrial strategy. And it's more or less done with the new community growth strategy. It's, I think it would like to have dotted the I's and crossed the T's on the established area growth and change strategy in 2020. Um, I would expect to see some initial work come out on that you know, first quarter, first half of 2020, and some projects come to fruition. And I think once they get comfortable with that, then they're going to turn their attention to the established, or sorry, the uh, industrial growth strategy, and ultimately lose those labels and just have a growth strategy that kind of balances all those needs collectively. So, from a development perspective, you've got the established areas, you've got the What's a preferred terminology? Greenfield or suburban growth? What new, are the, new community, I think, new is the community? label. Yeah. Okay. What would be the barriers, the biggest barriers to successful development in each of them? Or maybe there's an overarching barrier for both. What would it be? Well, what I, would they I, think in the, I think in the long run, it's making sure that all of the costs that are required to do that are competitive. Everybody has a choice as to where they can take their money to in, to invest, and so we need we need underlying growth in the city. We need people coming here, um, and we need a competitive atmosphere in which to develop. And I think everybody is working hard on both those two things um, to make sure the Calgary economy is diversified and relevant and. Um, I'm, you can talk to all sorts of people who are probably more expert on me on all the things that are being pursued in terms of diversifying the Calgary economy. And then to support that growth, a, a very competitive regulatory regime, 
underneath that for orderly, timely development and ensure supply, which would make it, 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 it seems oversimply, but would make Calgary a very attractive place to be. Um, that people will want to come live here because the development, it's a wonderful community, but it's also competitive for them to be able to come here. Do you think the 65-35 and then the 50-50 uh, development targets are achievable? Are they realistic? Well, you know what? Uh, somebody once always said, well, I can, it's like forecasting something. I can tell you a number and I can tell you a time, but I'm never going to tell you the number and the time. Um, <laughs> The, I think over the long haul, we can get there. Um, but I guess the, the real question is, what's the long haul? And the long haul will depend on you know, a whole bunch of factors, including how the economy does, and, and you know, ultimately net migration into Calgary. In your role, given kind of the shift, and I mean, you'd mentioned the board structure, what are you doing to to change the conversation that happens around the board, but then have it filter out into the community and into you know, how the home builders are speaking about the industry and what they see as being successful, sustainable development in Calgary. The change in the, the board structure, it has many audiences, uh, some of which are policymakers, but also members and prospective members. And it will allow us to make sure that our membership reasonably represents um, the industry and we can say we are the respected voice for the industry. Um, it goes back, and I'm probably not wording this well, but it, for, for us to be able to say that, we actually have to represent the industry. And because over time, as you pointed out, Darren, um, the city's aspirations are to get to 50-50 growth, well then we need to, to mirror that. And as, as much as you know, Lauren and I are built, really build is our members. And the, the biggest advertisers and advocates ultimately for us with customers and those who are going to be interested in this are our members. And to the extent that they can reflect those aspirations and be that population, then I think we'll be going a long ways to reflecting that. Final question, what what will Calgarians, what will average Calgarians be able to see from, maybe not necessarily build, but from some of the home builders, some of the established area builders who are, who are in the area, what do you think you'll see from them over the next year, three years, five years, that will kind of I guess, put actions behind the words that we're talking about today. I think you'll see what they're trying to do right now. Innovative, competitive products. Innovative, competitive, attractive products. I always hate the little catchphrases, but um, people talk a lot about placemaking. I think there's a big emphasis on placemaking or ensuring where you live is a very attractive, comfortable place where to live. Some people say that people go to find the place they want to live and then they find work. It used to be used to follow the work, but now people want to find the place, place they want to live and they believe the work will follow them. And so attractive places to be, attractive places to live. And we're fortunate here, although it's snowy outside today, 
we're in a very opportune geography here. I mean, we've got lots of recreational um, opportunities close by. If you like the mountains, this Calgary's um, Calgary's a wonderful place to be. Um, you, you know, by and large, we've got really attractive facilities. Um, you know, we're fortunate in terms of uh, you know, on a comparative scale, for sure, it's a very safe place to live. So. Hey, you know, Calgary's very attractive. And, you know, I go back to a personal note for me. I mean, I, I could have chosen wherever I wanted to live at my age, and I chose Calgary. Um, and that's a conscious, my wife and I chose Calgary, probably include her in that. <laughs> and that, that was a very conscious decision. And it's a city I want to see grow and thrive. And, you know, the real big motivator behind that choice is I believe and I'm hope to work towards it being a place where my children want to live and have the opportunities that I had when I grew up. Awesome. Thanks very much for chatting, Brian. Well, thank you, Darren. <laughs> Change takes time. I think that you ask anybody, and when you're talking about a monolith such as the Calgary growth and, and development industry, I, I think we got to understand it's, it's almost like steering the Titanic, especially when it's been done for years. So first off, I'd like to thank Brian Hahn for taking the time to chat with me about some of these things um, and, and kind of keep that conversation going about, about how Calgary grows and how it can grow sustainably. Now, I did want to tease some upcoming shows. We're actually going to talk with Mark Asberg, CEO of the Calgary Public Library, in a likely our next episode. Of course, we've got the Calgary Public Library and the new Central Library downtown, and we're going to talk about where the library goes from here. You would think that the pinnacle would be the opening of the new Central Library, which was just over a year ago, but maybe the Calgary Public Library has some bigger things ahead. We're also going to tackle uh, organ donation in Alberta, and we're going to tell an interesting story about a living donor many of you may know, uh, and we think that's going to be a good one. We'll update you on where the province is at. Uh, In the meantime, thank you once again for joining us here on the Common Ground YYC podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. The Common Ground YYC podcast is a production of Livewire Calgary. We are Calgary's people-powered news. To support us, go to patreon.com slash livewirecalgary.